0: So good to be with you this morning, and uh, to be able to see everyone back in the uh, church again, it makes such a difference. So we're really, really delighted to to be with you. Thank you for coming to church today. Uh, Rose and I are just thrilled to be able to join with you. Um, If you turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 20, over these next few times when I'm down, we're going to look at some of the people who were uh, witnesses to the resurrection. And this morning we think about the author of the gospel himself, John the Beloved. So turn with me to John chapter 20 and we'll read the first 10 verses and then we'll um, uh, think about some of the things that we read about John. This is what the text has to say. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw, and he believed. For as yet, they, hadn't, they didn't understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back, to their homes. This is a sermon about John the Beloved. And the theme of the message is that Jesus brings out the best in his followers. That's the point that I want to get across to you loud and clear today. Jesus brings out the best in his followers. But this is John the Beloved. He's called John the Beloved because at least on five occasions he's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this passage is one of them. I found five. There may be others. Um, It could well be, of course, that um, Jesus just had a soft spot for John. The reason I say that is because John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. In fact he was the one that lived the longest. Did you know that by 70 AD. Remember this. Jesus died about 30 AD. That by 70 AD. 40 years after the death of Jesus. All of the disciples were dead. But John. He was the only one that outlived all the others. So he was the youngest. When he was there with, uh, with the disciples. And it could be of course that Jesus. We know that he had six disciples. Younger sibling. Change the batteries. Oh, there we go. We're back again. What does that mean? I'm not it's a sign. <laughs> Keep going, anyway. Keep going anyway. Okay, well, uh, my, battery's re- my battery's been resurrected, apparently. And uh, so uh, we can continue on. <laughs> the tomb is empty. The batteries are recharged. Um, uh, so um, where was I? My goodness. Um, uh, yes, that Jesus had six siblings we know of. four bro- uh, He had four younger brothers and at least two younger sisters. And it could be that just Jesus, being that big brotherly figure identifies the youngest of the disciples, young John, and has a soft spot for him, simply because that was just the way that he was within the family. It seems that none of the other disciples took exception to the fact that John was described or identified as the one that Jesus loved particularly. Certainly we can tell that John, the beloved disciple, he rose to great prominence in the early church. I read one Commentator, he made this point. He said, Peter formed the church in Jerusalem. He said, Paul emancipated the church from Judaism. But that John established the church in Jesus. Those were the three statements that uh, Godet, the French commentator, had to make about John. He was a remarkable man, was John. Because of the things that he did. Not only was he a preacher of the gospel. The, the kerygma. But that he was also a teacher of God's word. The didache. A preacher and a teacher. He was an author. Because he wrote John's gospel. He wrote the three epistles. 1, 2 and 3 John. And he, was, uh, he wrote the book of Revelation. So he was an author. And of course he was a visionary. Isn't it remarkable to think about. John this young disciple. We don't know exactly what age he was when he became a follower of Jesus, but this young disciple who had traveled with Jesus, who rose to great prominence uh, uh, within the church in Jerusalem. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes John as one of the three pillars of the church. That's the phrase Paul uses. Peter, James, and John. He rose to great prominence. Wouldn't it be exciting if God was to do that here in FCF? Raise up people who were preachers of the gospel. Raise up preachers who were teachers of God's word. Raise up people who were authors of literature that was helpful and uh, and, uh, enriching and encouraging, encouraging people to follow Jesus. Wouldn't it be fantastic if there were people in FCF who were visionaries? Whom God would reveal the future to. And that we would see God by this Holy Spirit working in that special way. You see, John was a, a, a special person that raised a great pro, a prominence within the church. But listen, have no make no mistake about this. Jesus had to rescue John. Because it was Jesus that brought out the best in John. It wasn't John's natural abilities. It wasn't his natural way. It was Jesus that brought the best out in John. And Jesus had to rescue John in exactly the same way that Jesus has to rescue you and I. Now let me illustrate that just in three simple ways. First of all, Jesus had to rescue John from his sins, from those thoughts and words and deeds That we're a barrier between John and his heavenly father. And sins are like baggage that we have with us. I wonder if you came to church this morning. Or if you've tuned in online. I wonder if you came to church this morning with baggage. If I may put it like this. If you came to church this morning with your dirty washing. By that I mean the thoughts and the words and the deeds that are not worthy of being in the father's presence inappropriate words unhelpful words and thoughts and deeds you see we all need to be rescued from those things those thoughts words and deeds that are inappropriate and we need to be cleansed and the way that that happens is that we kneel at the foot of the cross and we say lord i'm sorry Lord, I recognize these thoughts that are flooding my mind and are not very nice. And I recognize that I said that thing to so-and-so and it's not particularly nice. And I'm sorry, Lord. Or this thing that I've just done or, or this the behavior that I've, I've participated in. Lord, I'm sorry. We need to be rescued from our sins. Not just from the sins that we do, commission, But we also need to be rescued from our sins of omission. Lord, I'm sorry. I should have done that and I didn't. Those are sins of omission. I should have thought about that, but I didn't. I should have said that, but I didn't. I should have done that, but I didn't. Jesus needed to rescue John from his sins. But there's a second way in which Jesus needed to rescue John. He needed to rescue John from his sin, singular. From the biased nature that John had, because John's nature, like your nature and my nature, has a bias. It has a bent. It has a predisposition towards that which is uh, not pleasing in God's sight. Not just from the things that he thought, said, and done, but also from what Paul would describe as his sinful nature, his old nature, that part of him that found sinning easy. John needed to be delivered from that. Paul writes an awful lot about this. If you're interested in this or if you feel this is relevant to you, go home and read Romans chapter 7 and then into the beginning of chapter 8. Romans 7 and 8. In Romans 7, Paul describes the battle that he has with his predisposition to sin. Paul labels his bias, his old nature, his sinful nature, and Paul gives his testimony in Romans 7. And in his testimony in Romans 7, Paul says, sin has defeated me, it beats me, it overtakes me, it dominates me. Even though Paul was a Christian. He still fought that battle with sin. And the only thing that helped him was, and as we move into Romans chapter 8, he began to say, at the end of chapter 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. This sinful bias. This predisposition. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this predisposition? Who will deliver me from this nature of sin that I have? And then at the end of 7, he says, Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, I can be delivered. And then into Romans chapter 8, he makes this phrase. Because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now that's something to get excited about. And if you look carefully at the message of the book of Acts and of the early disciples... What you find is that Peter, for example, on the day of Pentecost, he, he preached this. He said, repent and confess your sins. Repent from your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. Acts chapter 2, I think, I think verse 38. And you see, this is what Paul is saying. The law of the Spirit of life. Has set me free from the law of sin and death. You see, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of life. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He brings the victory over sin, over the sinful nature that under normal circumstances we don't have. That's the message of the gospel. We're not just set free from our sins by confessing them. We're also set free from our sinful nature. From the bias that we have that finds sinning easy. And some of us need to move into that experience because some of us are in the Corinthian experience. If you read the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, you'll find there that what Paul describes is he he talks about Christians that are neither, they're not not unbelievers because they've given their lives to Christ, but they're not full believers because they're not living the life that God wants them to live. They're mugwumps. Mugwumps. They've got their mug on one side of their fence and their wump on the other. They're neither one thing nor the other. And Paul uses this phrase. He calls them babes in Christ, but he uses this phrase in the authorized version. And I love the authorized versions, the word that he has, he calls them carnal Christians. If you'll forgive me, brothers and sisters, I would be surprised in an audience this size that there aren't some carnal Christians. That means that you're Christians by name. Will you go to heaven? Yes. Are you walking the life? No. No. And Jesus isn't bringing the best in you out. And the best of you hasn't yet been seen. Why? Because you're defeated. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life, hasn't overruled the spirit of death. Jesus had to rescue John. Well, there's a third way in which Jesus had to rescue John. Jesus had to rescue John from himself. Jesus had to rescue John from himself. And the Gospels tell us that there were two things that John had that were natural to him that he had to be rescued from one of them was an attitude. John, this beloved disciple, had an attitude problem. He had an attitude of arrogance. I looked up arrogance in in the uh, thesaurus uh, earlier this week. And um, there was a lot of the word that's uh, the same as arrogance. Uppishness. I like that word. I understand uppishness. Do you know people that are uppish? They're full of their own importance. There is an uppishness that goes about. And John was a bit like that. And I'll t- let me give you a couple of illustrations. In, in Luke chapter 9 verse 49. He came across a man. Excuse me. A man who was exercising uh, people from evil spirits. And he forbade them. And he came back to Jesus. And he said you know Lord. I found somebody who was using your name to exercise evil spirits. And I told him he had no right to. I told him who did he think he was. I got this. Up- he, he was being uppish. Taking an authority that wasn't his. And then in Luke chapter 9 verse 55, uh, him and his brother James, they were in a Samaritan village and uh, Jesus and his disciples, well they didn't get a very good reception and uh, James and John came to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire from heaven? Because these people, they need to be taught a lesson. You see that attitude, that uppish attitude, that arrogance that was with them. You see that's the old John. Well, you see, Jesus had to rescue him. He had to rescue him from his bad attitude. And it's Jesus who brings out the best in us. But there was something else that Jesus had to rescue John from. Jesus had to rescue John from his ambition. I should have said that when Jesus, when James and John said to Jesus about calling down fire from heaven, at that point Jesus gave James and John a nickname. I'm sure some of you will know what the nickname was. He described the two brothers as sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. And it's as if Jesus is using this nickname... It's interesting to think that, excuse me, you wouldn't get my glass of water, dear, would you? <coughs> it's interesting to think that Jesus had nicknames for people. He had a nickname for Peter, called him Rocky, and here is a nickname for James and John. He called them the Sons of Thunder. You see, this is the attitude. But the other thing that he had to deliver them from was he had to deliver them from ambition, because James and John came to Jesus one night and said, um, on one occasion, he said, "Jesus, will you grant us a, a prom- Will you grant us a wish?" What's the wish? We're not going to tell you until we, till you tell us that you'll grant it for us. What is it? We want to sit one on your right and the other on your left when you come in your glory in your kingdom. You see, they had an ambition. You see, that's why I say Jesus had to rescue John from himself. Rescue John from himself. What does God need to rescue you from? Is it an attitude? Do you have an attitude problem? Excuse me. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much. I have just spilt it over the top of you. Sorry. Keep an eye there, would you? I don't kick this over here in a minute. Because if it goes in one of these leaves, I'll light up. I'll become a a son of thunder like lightning. I'll just light up here at the front. Uh, John, you see, had to be delivered from himself. He had to be rescued from himself. What does God need to read? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what, I'm my worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm always putting my foot in it. I'm I'm dominated by this mood that I have. I'm my own worst enemy. I say things I don't really mean. I do things I don't really want to do. This is where I'm at. Jesus needed to rescue John from his sins, from his sin, and from himself in order to bring out the best in him. I read a, com- I read a, a book uh, recently, I read it some time ago, I uh, revised my uh, undertaking of it, um, a book by John MacArthur on the 12 ordinary men, the 12 disciples. Listen to the vocabulary that MacArthur uses to describe John. Listen to these words. John was a uh, passion, severe, aggressive, self-assertive, impertinent, sectarian, Narrow-minded, unbending, reckless, impetuous, volatile, brash. Oh boy, what a list of words that MacArthur uses to describe John. What words describe you? What words describe you? You see, Jesus' task is to bring out of you the best of you. And this was not the best of John. When we turn to the passage that we read this morning, just a moment or two ago, we find the best of John. Because there we find John has progressed up the list. When we're first introduced to John, it's an interesting point. When we're first introduced to John in the list of the disciples, he's number four, Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, then James, and then number four, John. But by the time we come to Luke chapters 8 and 9, it's Peter and John and James and Andrews dropped off. And in Luke chapter 8 and 9 we find that. Then in Luke chapter 22 we find that it's Peter and John that Jesus sends to prepare the Passover. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 13, after the ascension of Jesus and before the the day of Pentecost, in that in-between few days... When it gives the list of the disciples, the apostles, it's Peter followed by John. You see, that's the best of John. John's progressed. MacArthur makes this point. He says, John aged well. Oh, may God grant that you and I age well. What that means is that we grow, that we change that we become more like christ with every day that goes by that's what aging well means and john changed yes he was a son of thunder but he became known as the the disciple whom jesus loved the, the the apostle of love he became known as the apostle of love the son of thunder became the apostle of love do you see the point he progressed At the cross in chapter 19, we saw how Jesus considered John to be trustworthy and caring. Oh, how John had changed. Do you remember in John 19, we looked at it a few weeks ago. When he looked at his mother and he said, Mother, behold thy son. And then to John, John, uh, uh, behold thy mother. And there Jesus committed his mother, the care of his mother into the hands of John trustworthy John caring John did you notice here when we read in John chapter 20 that when Mary Magdalene returned from the tomb early that Sunday morning that Peter and John were together interesting Uh, John chapter 20 verse 2 Peter and John were together she found them together early hours of Sunday morning interesting that you see Peter at this stage is still broken Peter. He's still dejected Peter because he's in that in-between times because he knows he's let the Lord down. He has betrayed and and denied his Savior, but he hasn't yet been restored. That doesn't happen until John 21. So he's in this in-between time. Who's Peter best with? He's with John, his mate. He doesn't judge him. Listens to him, cares for him. Do you see the best of John? Do you see the best of John? I remember at the deathbed of a friend of mine who, through the ministry of Styrus, whispering into his ear, and the first thing he said to me, Mike, it's good to hear your voice. He died within 24 hours. It's good to hear your voice. Do people welcome your voice just to be with you? Because they know that in your presence there's no judgment. You're good to be with. Peter knew that John was good to be with. Mary. <clears throat> Mary found Peter and John. They were the go-to people when she was in her confusion. When she was at the at her wit's end, what on earth have they done with Jesus. What on earth have they done with our Lord? The tomb is empty. They've taken him. Someone's stolen the body. She didn't get it at all to begin with. And she went and and Peter and John, they were the go-to people. Are you the go-to person when people have problems? Are you the go-to person when people want to unburden themselves? You see how John had changed this son of thunder. How he had changed because Jesus brought out the best in him. He hadn't lost his boldness. Acts 3, Peter and John raise the lame man and, he, and see God heal him. John, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin uh, bring James, uh, Peter and John before them to answer questions. And what did the Sanhedrin notice about them? How bold they were. Do you see that? John hasn't lost his boldness. Not all of it. But what's happened is that that natural instinct that was so negative as a son of thunder has been sanctified. And it's now a boldness that works for God, not against him. And here's Peter and John with that boldness, that self-assertion, that God-confidence. That God is with us and who can be against us. What a mighty change God had brought about, sanctifying that instinct that he had to be brash and volatile, but taking it and bringing it under control, sanctifying it, setting it apart for God's use alone, and breathing the Holy Spirit into him. We'll come to that soon in our study of John. John, the beloved disciple, well, the last, as I bring this message to a close, the last thing I want you to do today, listen to me, brothers and sisters, do not leave today thinking to yourself, I have to be more like John. No, you missed the point. If that's what you're thinking, you missed the point. I must be more uh, trustworthy, uh, more approachable. I have to be more caring and more gentle and more kind, more loving. No, that's not what I'm saying to you. You've missed the point of the sermon, if that's what you're getting. The point of the sermon is this. Jesus made John like that. Jesus brings out the best in us. And the point is this. It was only as John lived under the panoply of the love of Jesus that he changed. That this son of thunder became the apostle of love. As he lived under the influence of Jesus... As he lived under the wing of Jesus. As he surrendered his life to Jesus. And that's the challenge that I'm bringing to you today. The challenge is for you not to be like John. The challenge is, have you surrendered all to Jesus? That's the challenge. Does Jesus have his unlimited sway in your life? Because it's only as Jesus influences you. As, it's only as he controls you. It's only as he sheds his love uh, throughout you that you begin to change. And he rescues you from yourself. From your sins and from your sin. And makes you into the best version of you that can possibly be. The best version of you that is in Christ. That's the message. My challenge to you today, brothers and sisters, as I bring this message to a close is, have you surrendered to Jesus? Let me read you the verse, just one verse of an old, old hymn by a man called George Matheson. I'm sure many of you will recognize this hymn. You may already be thinking of it. Permit me to read you the first verse, because in this verse, Matheson talks about surrender. He talks about surrender. Listen to what he says. Make me a captive Lord. And then. I'll be free. Force me to render up my sword. Render up my sword. Give my sword over. Force me to render up my sword. And I shall conqueror be. I sink in life's alarms. When by myself I stand. Imprison me. Within thine arms and strong shall be my stand. Do you see the irony that Matheson brings out in this lovely hymn? It's being captive to Jesus that sets us free. It's surrendering all our weaponry to Jesus that makes us victorious. It's only as we are imprisoned in his arms... That we become like him. Will you surrender your life to Jesus today? Has God been speaking to you? Have you been having thoughts in your mind? Thinking to yourself, Do You know what? I, I'm not a surrender to God as I used to be. Or I'm not a surrender to God as I should be. And oh God I know you're calling me back to yourself. God is calling someone here today. Back to himself. To surrender. To yield. to uh, Just to, to give yourself afresh to jesus let's pray together our loving heavenly father we thank you for john the beloved thank you that he was a son of thunder it seems a strange prayer to pray lord but we thank you that he's a son of thunder because we get the son of thunder. We understand people that are sinful and have a bias towards sin and are their own worst enemies because, Lord, that's how we are. Lord, that's how I am. But we thank you today, oh, our Heavenly Father. We thank you today for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We thank you that you bring out the best in us. We thank you that you're not content to leave us the way we are. We thank you that you're not content just to give us a ticket that will allow us entry into heaven, but that you want to change us, to bring out the best in us. And we know, Lord, that that requires us to surrender our lives to you. Oh, forgive us for our sins this day. We confess them, thoughts, words, and deeds. Oh, deliver us by the indwelling power of the Spirit of life. Deliver us from the temptations that we so often succumb to and lift us up in the Spirit that we may be able to to leave our old self behind and become more and more like you. Lord, that's our heart's desire this day. Do your work by the Holy Spirit within us, we pray right now.